This is Red Raccoon Games. guys, gals, and non-binary pals, and welcome to the podcast where a customer has managed to trick his local friendly game store staff into talking to him about all the nerdy nonsense that he loves. I'm your today's customer, John Parrott, and the people I've trapped behind the counter is the owner, Jamie. Hey, everybody. And manager, Jesse. Hey, how's it going? So, guys, how, how, what's going on in the store right now? So... Jesse had this last week off as a uh, vacation, and we have decided that we are never allowing that to happen again. Sounds fair. <laughs> Sounds fair. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, you know, it was a busy week with um, the new Age of Sigmar Dominion box releasing and lots of reveals for the new Forgotten Realms set for Magic the Gathering and uh, lots of questions about Pokemon this week also. So it was a... Uh, just a lot of stuff going on, and Jesse decides to dip out and take some time off that was very well-deserved, and yet we're never letting that happen again. Yeah. I feel like Jesse probably has some sort of flowchart on a calendar of when everything's <laughs> releasing, so that way he can really plan his time for it. I wish I had that. If someone has that magic item, I want it. Um, at least it wasn't like a Pokemon release and a magic release and other things all in the same week. That would be bad. That wouldn't be a thing that happens... Twice a year. <laughs> yeah, publishers would never allow Magic and Pokemon and, say, maybe a Dungeons and Dragons book all come out on the same day. That would never, they'd never do that. It's, it's chaos in its purest form. <laughs> so, uh, obviously, some things have happened this week kind of in board games. I was wondering if you guys had heard about uh, you know, Dungeons and Dragons is now, as you guys were just talking about, bringing in uh, a lot of their content into Magic the Gathering, uh, with the Gelatinous Cube now being a news <clears throat> item. That I've actually seen now that it's actually its own magic card. The yeah. the Adventures in the Forgotten Realm set is something that people have been asking, asking for. Asking, I mean, it's ever begging. since Watsi bought TSR. Begging for it. Yeah, it's been when are we going to get a magic set in? Or uh, when are we going to get a magic set that's D and D? Well, and Richard, that's been twenty seven years now. Or oh wait, yeah, seven. I, you're right. Seven years. Yeah, because I think about yeah. Watsi owning them as of like two thousand when third edition came out. But you're right, they bought them late. AD&D, didn't they? Yeah. Well, I'm at, I'm at 27 years of magic that we've been saying, oh, make a yeah, Dungeons and yeah. Dragons set. <laughs> you know? They, well, because, I mean, Richard Garfield, when he made magic, you know, Deckmaster that would become magic, he was designing a game that was going to be a 15 to 20 minute game to play because your, your D&D friends are always late showing up. That was his goal, was to make a game. And so for forever... You know, a game inspired by the worlds of Dungeons and Dragons. Now we finally have an official set. And now Dungeons and Dragons is the game that people play after they get kicked out of magic tournaments just to pass the time till their friends are ready to go, right? I think that there are Dungeons and Dragons people that, that might hit you for saying that. That might be fair. <laughs> that might be fair. But that's why I'm the customer. You guys are the expert. <laughs> but I am yeah. kind of curious because now that we're seeing like this combination of two of the biggest franchise possible, are we going to start seeing like Avenger style? mashups between large distributors that have really popular brands like is there going to be arkham investigators in the legend of the five rings or is cthulhu going to invade by ancient samurai like do you see this as becoming more of a trend that's going to be I, happening i think it's a trend that's already happening i think it's already happened yeah too. i mean so to a degree um you see that with some publishers who will do crossovers even if it's promotional material like here's you know some promo cards so you can play your uh 
um, uh, like Red Dragon in character in uh, insert other bad example thing I can't think of off the top of my head that actually exists. But like Munchkin. you, you ha- yeah, Munchkin. There you go. There's Red Dragon in expansion for Munchkin with characters there. And Munchkin characters in Red in Dragon. Red Dragon <clears throat> and uh, you know, you you also have companies who their whole shtick, like USAopoly or the OP as they are now, their whole thing is reskinning games. So like you have Smash Up that's all Marvel. Um, but I think that a lot of companies, like the examples you gave, were intentionally. They also did I, Marvel Munchkin. This is true. And yeah, so and, and Harry Potter Munchkin. So a yeah. lot of I think the licensing of IPs and using it in different systems is it has already been happening, and we're going to see it more. Now the examples that you gave, John, I think were a little intentionally hyperbolic, but uh, th- those are interesting, right? Because so you just you mentioned <clears throat> Arkham Horror, Legend of the Five Rings. And I think something else I already forgot. And those are all things that Fancy Flight has the license for. In the case of the Arkham Horror and uh, L5R, they own the rights to those IPs entirely. So if they wanted to, they could do something if they felt like it was a mash that works. I mean, the, ultimately what, what, what the beautiful thing about the chocolate and peanut butter is with Magic and D&D is that it flows very well. There's nothing odd about it. Now... When the Warhammer 40k Commander decks come out uh, that have been announced, there might be some people who go, "Does this feel right for 40k?" And that's that's different, right? That's a system thing. But like I was looking earlier, and there was a um, there was a rogue card that was a two-drop black uh, creature that it was roll a d20 to see which effect it got. It was like one through nine yeah. get a uh, get death touch, nine through nineteen get plus one death touch, twenty get plus three death touch. And I saw that, and I'm a person who plays Magic very, very casually. Uh, and I saw that and immediately went, oh my god, that's flavor, I like it. That's mechanics and flavor going together, and that's that gets you two-thirds of the player base. Right well, did you see the, that they introduced class cards this week? They, they spoiled them. So you can now play, and you can say, I am now a level one monk. And you can level up your monk class... And as you do, as you progress through the levels, you get additional bonuses from that card as you go on. They're going hog wild with the with yeah. the mechanics in the set. Normally, they're restrained where they go only a few new keywords. We don't, but they just went. We have a framework that we can build a game that feels like a Dungeons and Dragons card game out of this, and it's. I think it looks like it's got to come together marvelously. Yeah. And I mean, we already saw it working very well when they were taking magic elements from Magic: The Gathering. And adding them into D and D, such mm. as Theros, such yeah. as Ravnica. Uh, Ravnica, the different source books, so you could play Dungeons and Dragons Five Fifth Edition on any of these detailed worlds that they've created. Before they published books, I don't know if you knew this or not, they had done PDFs for Dominaria and um, um, some other places. Uh, God, I was gonna, I had three Zendikar? of them. I think Zendikar was one too. They so they did PDFs that you could get of those worlds, and the PDFs did were so well. They were like, well, let's try a print book and Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica, Mythic Adventures or Mythic Odysseys of Theros. Strict, uh, Strixhaven is on its way. Yeah, the Strixhaven book that's going to be stupid popular. That's a, that's yeah. a November release, and that's going to be crazy. That Venn diagram of Harry Potter fans and Dungeons and Dragons fans just merged together into one perfect. <laughs> it did. Not quite perfect, but it's pretty close. It's pretty, pretty close. close. Um, speaking of tabletop uh, RPGs. Before I move on, okay. I'll yeah. just add one thing. I have had so many conversations this week from people who had sworn they were never going to play Magic again. Right? They were like, I was clean for 12 years. 
and now they're bringing a D&D set out, and now I'm going to have to buy some stuff, and this will be the first D&D set where I am buying cards for me since Theros came out. So it's been eight years since I have bought a, a D&D card to take home for myself. Or a magic card, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm buying D&D cards, right, right. let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> It just know. so happens they share mechanics with Yeah, yeah, but this is the first set I'm buying in, Jeff's buying in. I had so many conversations this week from people who were so excited for this set. And then, of course, yesterday we got notification that there's looks like there could be shipping issues. Oh, no. Yeah, I know. You heard it here You know, first. that's in terms of news, that's something that might not be a bad thing for us to talk about a little bit, honestly. Shipping is, international shipping is a train wreck. If you guys haven't heard me say it on a video at a different point on one of our live videos we do on Facebook, shipping is a train wreck. Up, down, left, right, no two ands about it. It, can, cargo containers, I was talking to, um, one of our publishers this week and he said cargo containers used to be $5,000 to get a cargo container that would leave Asia and bring it to Norfolk. So they were going to the East Coast of the United States. And now the same container to move their same products is between eighteen and 20000 is the quotes he's getting. It's, it's delaying shipments. The price is causing backlogs in shipments. This is going to be a rough final half of the year. For yeah. shipping of anything for the tabletop industry. And it's, I mean, it's not just us either. Like, it's especially hard for us because of the amount of components, the amount of stuff that's made in East Asia. Uh, but I've seen in a lot of industries, there's just, companies are more and more just coming out and saying, we don't know exactly when things are showing up. We don't know when prices are going to increase. And if you, I mean, what I've just been telling people is like, I'm not saying be impulsive, but if there's something you know you're going to want or something you want to make sure you have for like a birthday or for, you know, uh, winter holiday or something, get it sooner rather than later. Don't wait and expect like a big sale to go on it or anything because they're not going to, they're not going to happen. That's my call I'm making. They're not going to happen this year. I'm not just talking about us. I mean, in terms of retail broadly, it's going to be a very different, uh, fall and winter than we've seen before. They yeah. can't afford sales. No, almost. no. And I mean, there's also just when do you put an item on sale that you can't get anyway, right? I yeah. mean, it's we we've been doing a lot of efforts the last few weeks to strategically make sure that things that we want to make sure are available for our customers through the end of December that we have stocked up now. Whereas normally I would be doing that work three months from now. Now, would you say that same problem happens whether it's a, a board game with components as it does with a book, like a RPG supplement or anything along those lines? I think it depends where the book's printed. Mm -hmm. You know, most Dungeons & Dragons books and most RPG books are, are either printed in East Asia or Germany as a really big hub for the printing world. And, um, you know, I, it, it sounds like there's there are some books that are printed in the United States that are on very small scales. They tend to be the, the micro RPG systems, and that Jesse and, and many of our customers enjoy. But the big publishing units, all those books are published overseas somewhere, and I think that it's going to affect those too. Yeah, I mean, this is getting a little bit into how the sausage is made and stuff, so it might be of interest to some people, it might not others. But I mean, we were looking the other day when we started to hear about more and more of how the the shipping container shortages, how the um, 
the bays are all just backed up. And we started to look at things like, okay, I know that magic cards are printed in the States, uh, or sometimes they've been printing them in Japan as well, one third of them. Um, Pokemon, I wasn't sure. And we went and we started looking at Pokemon packaging. Pokemon cards printed in the U.S. Pokemon packaging, a lot of the cardboard and wrap and stuff, printed in China. However, there is some unusual stuff, like, for instance, the first partner packs. The packaging is also printed in the United States. And so I'm curious if we're going to see publishers have to do some, like, you know, hey, let's see if we can contract someone else to make it locally because we can't source the packaging for our product, right? It's I'm, That's just kind of the, the things that I go, huh, that's interesting. We'll see how that plays out, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's just it's going to be um, a rough second half of 2020. One, and I the, here's another unexpected consequence that's coming out of this too. So, um, the store we back a lot of Kickstarters. We we want to bring in kind of the coolest, new, edgiest games that are out there, RPGs, um, and board games. And I am seeing from some of the Kickstarters that are shipping right now where they're coming back and asking for extra money for shipping because they're just getting killed on their shipping rates, and that wasn't part of the original Kickstarter plan. I'm also seeing um, hints that a lot of people are just planning on delaying shipping until all this gets under control. So they're going to push back and say, we're going to ship that mid-2022. So that could be a thing that happens this year, too. It'll just be another round of interesting consequences for board games and, yeah. and, and tabletop RPGs. Very interesting. Speaking of having to you know, kind of play with what you have and, and what is available, um, when it comes to... to Dungeons and Dragons, role-playing games, things along those lines. A lot of talk has been going on right now about uh, being inclusive as well as being respectful to your players and their emotional needs. And Roll20 has really issued out some pretty new creative tools where uh, players can very silently to the DMs put out a safety card and say, hey, this topic is making me uncomfortable, uh, kind of a, a yellow, red, green card to let uh, their, their DMs know that if they're getting into uncomfortable territory... Uh, that this is something that they would like to try to avoid or kind of skirt away from. Uh, as a store that's now you know, getting back to where we can have people in the store, you guys are starting to have events this week, is that something that you've really had to deal with whenever you've been hosting your games? And, and what are some of the things that you've heard people doing in live-action games that have really helped with that? So I think it's really cool that Roll20 has uh, made integration for these different safety tools. I started to become aware of them about four... About four years ago, probably. Um, I think the first time I heard the X card brought up was in Worldwide Wrestling, which conveniently it's uh, thematic as well because in wrestling, if uh, someone is legitimately hurt, the ref or someone will throw up their arms in an X move, and uh, that's the call, hey, we really need a medic over here. Um, and so they called it the X card in that case. But uh, these different safety tools, for those who aren't familiar, basically we're talking about things like that where you have a motion signal, something on the table that if a player is uncomfortable with something that's being discussed, they can put that out there and then everyone kind of slows down, rolls back, we move away because you know we want to be fun, not uncomfortable. Um, or there are other things like uh, they mentioned in there a like red light, yellow light, green light system, which are anonymously put in. So some people want to have that, hey, it's, it's because of something that makes me uncomfortable. Some people don't want to say it's me slowing things down, but just let's redirect. And there's a few other things mentioned, like uh, lines and veils is basically a formalized way of 
session zero, right? Your session zero where you're setting up the game, you're going, hey, we're going to run this kind of game, it's going to be this genre, what are people interested in, what are people playing? Another thing that is being discussed more and more is establishing where people's comfort zones are. So it's things like, is there certain content that you don't want to see at all in this game that you're just not okay with? Like, for example, let's just say something like, uh, if the bad guys uh, are cannibals, will that make you uncomfortable? Is that something that squicks you out too much and you just, you're going to be out of the game not having a good time? So you might say, okay, cool, we will not bring that up. Or maybe it's something that's like, as long as it's off screen and we don't go into the gory details of it, I'm fine with that being a detail, right? That would be like Firefly, right? Firefly, the Reavers are cannibals. We talk about how they're terrible people, but you don't see them doing it on screen. Um, so these safety tools, I think, are really great. It's a great way to have a positive environment at your table and especially someone who like my forte is actually i am i'm not great at running like straight up fantasy adventure games like DD. um what i tend to run and get good responses on is horror games right and in horror you want people to be unsettled but you want them to have a good unsettled feeling not a bad one right so setting up those lines of where people are okay with testing their boundaries is it's it's good responsible play and it's one of those things that until you think about it, you don't think about it, right? So I think it's good. Jamie, I know that you've run a few D&D games. Is this something that you've ever run up against or, or something that has been on your mind before? Not with adults in my personal experience. Um, however, we did have a situation running a um, kid's summer camp, learn to play D&D summer camp, a few years ago where... Um, the actions, not necessarily the DM story, but the actions that the other players wanted to take made one of the kids uncomfortable. And um, they were brave enough to stop and talk to Jeff about it. And so that led to a, a, a really interesting conversation that Jeff had with the kids um, to talk about the morality sometimes of what we what what they were proposing to do right and um i don't know all the details jeff handled and stuff but it was something that was really interesting that i don't think that any of us at the store had thought about it before um and and you know jeff naturally was going to curb the kids trying to be um in, there's an industry kind of slang term of murder hobos but and i think that's what they wanted to do which made the other um, kid unhappy and so he said something about it and that's a very courageous and hard thing to yeah. do um, I like that these systems give people the ability to set things up front you know I mean when I run stuff I tend to run straight old school D&D &D, we've got to stop the evil dragons before they burn down the village kind of campaigns and um, uh, so it's not something that's ever actually come up for me personally, but I, I think that the idea of it is, is interesting as we move towards a more inclusive, um, you know, sort of systems and, and opportunities and communities that we want everybody to have fun. Absolutely. I, I can say, just as a, a small store club, there's a series of books by an author named James D'Amato. He mm -hmm. runs another podcast, uh, Network. One Shots. The One Shot Podcast Network. He also does Campaign. They did a fantastic Star Wars run, and they did a fantastic, now a completely uh, separate handmade content as well, uh, where it's just tabletop real play. And in his books, there's one about creating your character, one about being a DM, and one about creating a world. 
And in each of them, it talks a lot about how to make people comfortable at the table, not just with issues that they are they know are triggers, but how to address those triggers as well. I don't want to reveal any of that. You should definitely come into Red Reckoning Games in downtown Bloomington and buy yourself a copy because uh, some of the, his insights are incredible, and I do want to make sure that he gets uh, value for his work. That's the uh, Ultimate RPG Gameplay Guide, Character Backstory Guide, I might be getting the title slightly wrong, and World Building Guide. Um, yeah. And the art, the Gameplay Guide, straight up, when I have people who are like, what would you recommend for a new DM? And a lot of them probably expect me to say, okay, first I ask what game they're playing, right? And if they're playing d and I'll say, well... The Dungeon Master's Guide has a lot of very good theory craft for the mechanics of the game, how to structure a, a campaign, how to put together a really good combat encounter, all that stuff. You definitely want to read that. Regardless of what game they're playing, the Ultimate RPG Gameplay Guide is what I go to. And I tell them, even if they're not a DM, I'm like, this is just good table info for how to have a good storytelling experience with other DMs. Absolutely. I feel like the Dungeon Master's Guide is kind of like the advanced manual that's written by somebody who actually knows what they're doing. And these books from James Amato are the people in like Reddit comments that are making really helpful suggestions and things that they've worked into their own campaigns that they know work and, and would highly suggest other people doing it. Because in the end, as long as you're having fun, everybody's yeah. winning. Speaking of winning, because I just set myself up for my own segue, <laughs> uh, there is a new game from the creators, uh, one of the creators of the Arkham Horror Living Card Game called Earthbound Rangers. Uh, and he is very excited. It's much more focused about uh, being a person that's helping the environment, helping this new world flourish. But he said something interesting the other day that I, I wanted to get your opinion on. Coming from Arkham Horror, a lot of people have wondered if the difficulty level is going to be set the same as it was in Arkham Horror for this new game. And he said that no, that with Arkham and the way that it's designed, they were trying to make it so 80% of the time you played Arkham Horror, the living card game, you lost. And I know that that, that is seems a... seems really high. Right! And I know that's a really hard uh, game into itself. Anytime you involve Cthulhu, I think you should expect to fail. Don't get me wrong. Uh, it's possible to always win, but it always feels like a struggle. But I was wondering, in your opinions, 80% is a lot. What is a good average for how many times a game should let you win or lose and still be fun. So I, a conversation I have a lot involves when people pick up Pandemic. Pandemic is classic, right? It's, it's a classic cooperative game of people trying to save the planet from various viruses, not at all like 2020. And, couldn't sell um, it in 2020 because we couldn't get it back in. It was yeah. so popular. <laughs> but I, I tell people, I said, okay, this is a co-op game, and it is designed so that realistically you're going to lose 40 to 50% of the time. And for a co-op game, I think that that's a good number, right? You know, you should win every other time because you want people to win often enough that they they don't feel just defeated. But on the other hand, you want to offer enough challenges. And, and Pandemic inside of the game has the mechanism that says, game feeling too easy? Do these things to crank up the difficulty. And then right. you can crank it up. So now the board is going to win 60% of the time or 80% of the time. But I, I think out of the box, the base game, I, I think maybe 50% of the time would be a good number to me, right? 
Yeah, I in, in my brain, and I could be misremembering or mixing with something else, I felt like I'd heard Pandemic was like a first time out the gate 60% chance that you're going to lose. Um, but the more that you play it, the more you get better at it, right? You're going to get back to that, that 50-50 maybe a little better. And maybe it's just that I got mad skills and just well, always... Well, that actually comes to something I was just thinking about with this. Um, and, and the thing is, sometimes Pandemic, because the viruses are played from a deck, sometimes the deck is stacked in a way that is just going to ruin you, right? Um, I think that with a co-op game, the trick is, like Jamie said, it can't be too easy or there's no challenge. If there's no risk of losing, then it just feels like, well, we're going to cakewalk through this and it's not fun. Um, and it depends a little bit on who your target is, what kind of game it is. So Pandemic, I, I think it's acceptable for it to have, I think that's a good number, right? Pandemic has a good balance of win-lose. A horror game, like Arkham is supposed to be, having a higher number, 80 surprised me. I'd never heard that number before. A horror game having a higher number of uh, losses to wins, I think is fair, because it is supposed to be more of a dire kind of, oh my god, we actually won situation. Um, but it depends. Some people want that challenge, some people are going to get burnt out. Uh, just recently, I got to actually finally play Power Rangers Heroes of the Grid, which is a co-op game that I have heard is notoriously difficult, especially the first time that you play it. A lot of people saying, this game's so hard, what do we do? To the point where uh, Renegade, the publisher, actually put out a bunch of optional rules for like, hey, first time game, want it to be a little easier, do this optional rule, do this optional rule. It'll make it a little less uh, aggressive while you're still learning the ropes. And I sat down with a group of people who none of us had played it before. I had played like half of a learner game by myself. And we didn't trance the game. We had to work for the win. But we we won without using any of the extra lives you get. You get basically three respawns. We didn't use any of them. And that felt really good. And I wondered, I was like, did we play something wrong? I heard this game so hard. But one of the people I was playing with was like, look at the table. We All of us play a lot of co-op games we're good at strategizing. We worked together, which the theme of the game is everyone has a specialty. So the tank who's good at taking defense, he was always ready to take the hit. The tank that's kind of the blood knight who needs to take a number of hits and then swing hard for revenge, he was doing that. The support person who's a glass cannon wasn't trying to go out there and be a big shot. They were just cycling and building energy for people. And because we did that, we went through it and had a solid experience Someone who's not used to playing co-op games, we have a lot of people who come in who are newer to board games who, when you say, oh, do you want a cooperative game or a competitive game? They say, what do you mean by cooperative? <clears throat> so I think that maybe there's a certain element of that of if someone's really new to that genre, it is going to be a rougher time for them, right? I can see that. You know, I, I was thinking to before the shutdown, and I was teaching a bunch of junior high kids how to play Forbidden Island, um, one of our favorite co-op games from GameRight, and it's can we solve the uh, or search for and find the treasures on the island as the island sinking into the ocean, and we've all got to get back to the helicopter and everybody's got to survive to win the game, right? And it's another one of those games because you're playing from a deck of cards that you sometimes you just can't control stuff. And we went from, in my head, I was already planning on this being an easy win, to, holy crud, the first time I'm teaching these kids how to play, we're going to get wrecked. 
to, oh my gosh, I can't believe we pulled it out right at the end with like perfect moves from three kids that weren't prompted by me. And it made for a really cool experience. But I I have to imagine when Game Right made the game that they were not shooting for 80% loss rate. No. You know, I, I'd I, say maybe a 50, <laughs> I'd say that's probably a 60% win rate, 50, 60% yeah. win rate. But then, of course, you've got settings to make it harder. Right. So, I don't know. It's it's interesting conversation when you sent the article, John. I was just like, I also wonder if it has anything to do with the length of the game, too. If I'm playing a co-op game like an Arkham Horror that's a 90-minute to two-hour, and we lose 80% of the time, I might lose interest in playing that game over and over again because that's a long commitment to get your butt kicked over and over again. And a sizable financial commitment because of the way that they were distributing that pack. So that's changed. I didn't put that in the article today. But, yeah, it is it is definitely a commitment that you have to make and enjoy that genre heavily. Um, speaking of Forbidden, just a real quick question. We got Forbidden Island, and then we got Forbidden Desert, and then we got Forbidden Skies. Skies. When are we getting Forbidden Space? I'm just waiting because that's – it. The narrative that's in that game, that light narrative, that's where it's telling us to go. I don't know. No no rumors yet, but, I mean, you win Forbidden Sky by launching the rocket yeah. in the space, with the, which is one of the, the coolest feelings right. when, um, you know, if you haven't played Forbidden Sky, you actually have to build an electrical circuit with a, a couple of batteries, and when you do it correctly, the rocket launches with light LED lights and sounds that, that fire off, and it's like the this, this super cool feeling the first time you do it. So it's a really good question, John. I, I'm We're going to have to see if your predictions are correct. I don't think that Forbidden Sky sold as well. Um, at least here, Forbidden Island and Forbidden Desert are staples. Yeah. We yeah. always try to have them in stock, and Forbidden Sky, will, when it comes back in the print, it will sit for... Five or it's six months. Different. Uh, Sky or um, Island and Desert are mechanically very similar games, right? I always tell people, Forbidden Island is the game you want, and once it feels too easy and you're like, oh, I've got this, then you get Desert. Desert kicks your teeth in. <laughs> Desert is a very difficult game, and I mean, Desert is definitely in that. Like, I'm not sure. I wouldn't be surprised, especially first few times out. Seventy percent lose rate on desert. It is a hard game. I agree with that. And for and so people say, oh, so is Forbidden Skies a harder game than Desert? Like, no, no, they changed the formula. Skies is a very different game altogether. And I'm not sure if there's a disconnect where people are thrown by that, or if they think they have to. You know, I don't know. But you're right. It's it was a. I'd say it's a sleeper hit because we all thought it was a really cool game. Well, and it was, but it was a bigger box, it a bigger and it box. was more expensive price yeah, point, right? True. Forbidden Island, when it originally came out, was eighteen dollars in a nice little tin. I mean, it's since we've seen a couple price increases over the last six years, yeah. five years, um, where now it's a, it's still a twenty-two dollar game. Right. For twenty-two dollars, that is a remarkable deal and a ton of fun. Uh, Forbidden Desert was uh, 20, 25 yeah. when it came out originally. Now I think it slid up to 29 Still a really good value. But you cross that line now with Forbidden Sky as a, you know, when it launched as a, a $45 game. $45 was a less impulsy for a lot yeah. of people, too, to take the chance on it. And it, you know, it's, it, I think it's, I, I agree with you. I think it's a great game. It's just, uh, it was, it crossed the line yeah. there. 
where people weren't willing to just say, Psh, $30, Beautiful, yeah. we're just going to go have some fun and enjoy a night of entertainment. Somewhere between 30 to 45 is the line where people are like, well, let's think about this a little more. Yeah. You know, it's just thinking about what would a forbidden sky look or forbidden space look like. And mechanically, it could be something completely different since skies is when, hey, you can change the format. I, in my brain, just crafting up what I would like to see, I think it'd be really cool if it was you're making FTL jumps. And you could almost have a mini version of, like, Battlestar Galactica, the board game, of resource management, FTL jumps, get a certain number to get home, or uh, a little bit, or like the video game FTL, right? That that kind of a ship management thing. I think it'd be, it could be fun. So you went a way different direction. Than yeah, what I were you thought. saying here? What yeah. were you guys thinking? So I was thinking more like a, um, you know, cleaning up space junk in the atmosphere to reassemble the space station that we were going to need to live on since oh, we couldn't live on Earth anymore. You're right, because you need to figure out what is the next thing we're getting to transportation-wise. Yeah, right. In my mind, it was kind of similar to what we did, because we, in Forbidden Island, we, we find kind of these relics that have this power that we can't quite explain. And then in the desert, we find this advanced civilization, which I assume is what eventually led to the creation of this uh, floating, you know, forbidden sky type area. Yeah. So I assume that that rocket that you go off in forbidden sky in will take you to a space station, Ooh. and you have to explore the space station as it's beginning to crumble into space. I like so, that a lot. Because it still has that personality of each person has a role and a special ability. And that's one of the things I've loved about that game. It's one of the reasons I love about any of the Arkham Horror games is that you find a character and their powers might vary a little bit from game to game, but that still core mechanic is really connected to them. And and you, you kept that through line of in each of those games you're exploring something abandoned and like a, a ruin. And that makes me think, like, I was talking to a buddy the other day about um, Larry Niven's Ringworld series, because he's started to read those, and, and I was like, man, I just, I love that kind of, like, here's some big monolithic thing in space that was left here ages ago by some other alien species, but now it's ruins, right? Yeah. It's, it's weird and creepy and fun. So I like that, John. That's yeah. a good idea. So sadly, we don't have this this mythical forbidden space yet, but... There are some new games on the new Hotness shelf right now. What have you guys, what are you really excited to have on the new Hotness at this point? So, it's not actually on our new Hotness shelf per se because it's too big. <laughs> but uh, Age of Sigmar just had a new edition uh, come out, the Warhammer Age of Sigmar, their, their fantasy minis line. And uh, it's had a couple of things. So, there's a new core book. They're, it's funny because they're calling it the new edition. And that's because. Age of Sigmar technically didn't have a second edition, but when Soul Wars came out, they added some new rules, they did a bunch of errata, they made the game more fleshed out, and people unofficially called that 2.0. Everybody called it 2.0. Everyone called it 2.0. Except for... Except for GW. And so when GW was doing an actual honest-to-God, hey, new edition, they were like, well, we, we can't call it 2.0 because everyone already calls Soul Wars that. <laughs> if we call it 3.0, that's going to sound weird too. So they're just calling it the new edition. So I've been making a bunch of... New edition boy band jokes um, over the last month, and Jamie's been groaning, getting songs stuck in his head, and that's always cool it some... <laughs> Got to cool it now. <laughs> exactly. So, um, so we've got the core books for that. We also, since I haven't been here, I don't know. Are we sold out of Dominion boxes? Uh. So I, I honestly if... <laughs> don't know. We had 
By the time this goes out, yeah. we probably are. Yeah, um, I think there was only one left when I left. So yesterday was, we're recording on Sunday. Yesterday was Saturday, the day that the, it dropped. And when I left at 2 o'clock, we, there was one copy left. So what is the Dominion box if you haven't been looking? Or if you go, hey, Age of Sigmar, what do I care about this, right? Uh, here's my 30-second pitch. Age of Sigmar is epic power metal fantasy. It's big, it's big heroes wailing guitars. And uh, so it's a very tonal shift from, like, if you're familiar I with the I almost spit old, my drink out for anybody that heard that. Um, and with the new edition, they have made a bunch of tweaks to the rules to change up the dynamicness of the gameplay, make it a little bit more complicated, but it's still a very straightforward, easy-to-play game. I think of it as the mini's equivalent of magic. All the basic rules are in your head, and you just got to read the cards on the table. That's how a Warhammer uh, Age of Sigmar army plays. The Dominion box is a launch box. It's a limited run. Here's a whole bunch of really cool stuff in a box for way cheaper than it has any right to be. It's the equivalent to last year for Warhammer 40K, they did the Indominus box, which was a big splash box that had more monies in it for what you pay. And so this one's got a new Stormcast Eternals army, all new sculpts. Uh, Stormcast Eternals are kind of like Norse Einherjar. They're resurrected heroes who've been reforged into bigger-than-life heroes that are functionally immortal unless they're killed on the battlefield, and then their soul gets whipped up, and they get respawned. Um, they're really cool. They've got big paladin armor and swords, and they're the big champion in the box. Well, Jesse kind of like just summed up like like 10 years of lore in 15 seconds. <laughs> this is better than all the TikTok on Warhammer I yeah. watch. This is great. Um, and so they're awesome. They've got hammers, they've got swords, they've got shields and spears. And then the other side of the box are the um, orcs. Or the orcs, and uh, it's it's falling out of my head right now. The cruel boys, yeah. So they're the orc cruel boys. It's a brand new orc army, and both of these are armies that you can play with older models from their factions, but they're entirely new sub factions. The orcs are super super cool because most Warhammer orcs are kind of your big chunky like um, you know. Uh, very stereotypical orcs. They're bulky, and they act like soccer hooligans. These orcs are skinny and kind of like like gangrene-looking, and they really, honestly, they look like Lord of the Rings orcs. They look very orakai. Um, they all live in swamps. They've got this kind of like uh, rockabilly, grungy kind of look to them. And I've never wanted an orc army before. I never have. And these guys, I'm just looking at them like, you're really cool. Like, so it's Norse power metal versus southern rockabilly, is that what Yes, that is entirely what it is. These guys look like they're from a bayou. Um, so if you're interested in this, I mentioned that we are sold out, probably, of the first wave. However, we're getting a few more boxes in early August, and yeah. then we're going to get more in probably December. Shipping delays ending, right? So it, it's still possible to get in for a second wave box. All the stuff I just described... Retail two hundred, and you get the alternate cover, hard you get the cover. Al yeah, it comes with a copy book. of the core book, yeah. which is a sixty dollar book. And I haven't read it myself yet, but I've been in our Discord. Which, if you want the Discord, we've got the link in our Facebook uh, profile and wherever else that we have our socials. Um, people in our Age of Sigmar Discord channel have been talking about how the book isn't just rules; most of it's fluff and setting stuff. Like it's got a whole description of like what different armies like settlements look like and which gives you that cool world building context for why am i having these battles right it's not just war all the time 
So I'm a little bit excited, and you should be too, is what I'm saying. <laughs> really? That was such really succinct and short. I, I'm surprised that you're For so, me, it you're, was. You're excited about this. <laughs> uh, I, I do want to put out some points for the expansions on Nemesis, the board game, mm. and the new hotness. Uh, Nemesis, I think Jamie and I were talking about it earlier, it's Aliens Done Right, except it's not Aliens uh, for trademark purposes, although I wouldn't be surprised if if this continues to go the way that it is. There are aliens involved. There's just There's not aliens with a little TM at the end of it. Xenomorphs. <laughs> We're going to get I'm technical. I was supposed to say that word. Oh, oh sorry. Um, but not designed by H.R. Geiger because right. he has a trademark to a particular type of design. of, And that's what, that's so that's, this is not that game. I've got another lot. He can keep it. That stuff freaks me out. <laughs> uh, but the game itself is fantastic. Uh, it does give you the feel of being a, a very singular role on a ship that makes sense. It does a good job of giving you hidden missions and hidden things that make you question the people that are around you, but make you appear as if you're all on the same uh, track to, to do the same thing. And the aliens themselves, the, the box set that it came with, were fantastic. Uh, and from what I'm reading with the new expansions, it mostly adds new aliens, and they all have a different play mechanic. So I think the first set you get really are more the Geiger Xenomorphs. It sounds like one of the sets is a little bit more maybe uh, thing the thing-based, mm, and yeah. one Ooh. set is maybe a little bit more uh, Event Horizon-based. I, I think know. the Void Seekers is the Event Horizon game. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I just watched that movie again, and some of the graphics aren't there anymore, right? But it was pretty cutting edge for the late 90s. The vibe of the whole movie is great. Yeah. It's still the the horror, creepy vibe of it, you know, that was right about that same time that Sam Neill also did In the Mouth of Madness, which is just amazing cult underground movie that's so, so creepy. Creepy Sam Neill is something that we don't get enough of in this world. <laughs> yeah. And we got too many Merlin Sam Neills, which was really Yeah, Merlin Sam Neill's not nearly as good as Creepy Sam Neill. <laughs> not at all. Although dinosaur archaeologist Sam Neill's okay. Uh, in the Mouth of Madness, that's Do You Read Sutter Kane, right? Yes, it's yeah, totally yeah. that one. Did you hear that uh, some people, there's an unofficial belief that Event Horizon is the beginning of the Hellblazer movies with Pinhead and all of that, like... Or yeah, Hell, actually, Hellraiser? Kind of, Hellraiser, yeah. excuse me, not Hellblazer. But I think it, Hellblazer was a later, actually, like, Hellblazer number is, four. Hell, Hellblazer is Constantine. Yes, oh. it, it's both. It, it's both <laughs> and neither at the same time. But yeah, it's supposed to be that Event Horizon found the portal to the Cenobite world. And That's interesting. I've, I've heard that one for uh, that you could squint your eyes and it's a Warhammer 40k movie. Because it's like, I can see they, they're fa- the their FTL drive is going through the warp and they hit onto Chaos. Yeah, that's you know the Nemesis. Um, the base game was out of print for a long time. Finally coming back out. First two expanse. I think Void Seekers and, and there's a space Carnograph. Carna Car- something yeah. is, the, is the name of the second one without going and looking at the shelf. I don't think the Space Cats one is out yet as of right now. But space I remember Cats that is coming out, and then Alien Kings is the name of another box that's coming out, but there's no date on either of them. What is the Space Cats expansion? I just saw someone order it. I have no that. idea. I, From what I understood, and I could be completely wrong about this, if you are, wherever you're listening to this, put it in the, the comments. Um, from what I understood, it was supposed to be based off the cat from Alien, 
Okay. And that it's supposed to be kind of like an extra crew member to a degree. Okay. Okay, I like that. That's my belief, but I could be completely okay. wrong. Jamie it also reminds me of right an now. obscure 80s anime OVA called Lilycat, which is very much a homage, I guess is the friendly word, for Alien and the Thing. But it has a cat that ends up getting hit with a parasite that basically does a the thing. It's like the thing, but with a cat instead of a dog. We're going to call this right here the, the Jesse Minute. Because the minute that you mention anime OAVs, I think that, <laughs> that really encapsulates you specifically on this podcast. Um, all right, so that's what's on the new hotness that you could be playing. But what are you guys playing right now? I know that oftentimes, even as owners, you don't get to play as much as you get to sell. So what are you actually If you like play playing around? games, don't run a game store. Because you're just going <laughs> to see other people play games. That's so true. <laughs> um, so... I was a little disappointed this week because um, during the shutdown, I picked up the Doom Dune uh, deck building game. Imperium. Yeah, Dune Imperium, the deck building game that came out, I think, in October, and it was finally going to get to the table on Thursday. A couple buddies were coming over. We had four people all lined up, and it was finally going to get to the table on Thursday. And then Drew's house flooded with all of the rains, and everybody ended up pulling up carpet to take it out for Drew instead of playing a game. So no board game has made it to the table for me at this point in eight months, I think. I have only been playing Dungeons & Dragons. With I, I have one group where I run a table, and we're playing Dungeons of the Mad Mage. Uh, we did a little side trip now into a, a classic module called the White Feather or the White Plume um, from original Dungeons & Dragons that somebody converted into 5e. Uh, this was 80 one right? Um, and then I'm also playing in a homebrew game that is completely absurd to a level that I can't even talk about because <laughs> that would make this whole podcast... Not safe for work. We need to stop everything. <laughs> yeah. Listen intently. Take notes. Now, you are selling yourself short, I think, Jamie. We've done some game training days where we've played board games with the staff. Well, yeah. At a minimum, if you run a game store and you're successful enough that you have employees, you can pay people to play games with you. Well, oh, <laughs> I see. That's so, the trick. That's, yep. And that's how I play most of the board games I played, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we do, we do staff training here. That's uh, in order to make sure that everybody has at least a common reference point to talk about games with. So every month we pick out four or five games and we teach everybody how to play those four or five games. Some of them are old standby and old classics that we want to make sure everybody knows how to play and other ones are some brand new stuff that's coming out. And so, yeah, yeah I have I have gotten to play games during the staff training nights. Um, I have not gotten to play games where it's like, my friends come over, and we've got a 12-pack of beer, and we're just sitting around the table and having a good time. I got to do that for the first time, and I don't remember when, um, just the other night. So I mentioned earlier that I finally got to play Power Rangers Heroes of the Grid, which I'm glad I enjoyed it, considering how much of that game I own right now. <laughs> All of it. <laughs> um, it, is, it is everything I had hoped it would be. It is a really, so the idea of it is, right, it's Power Rangers. And honestly, I think it's a solid enough game that a lot of people pass on it who would enjoy it because they're not familiar with the IP. 
Yep. So the idea of it is each player is one of the Power Rangers, and you are trying to defend four locations on a map from being overrun by monsters. So there's foot soldier monsters that you're going to kill by the dozen. There are mini-boss monsters who are kind of the episode of the week monsters. And then there's a villain who's one of the big bads. And the way that they spawn is actually very reminiscent of Pandemic because you set up three-thirds of the deck and you put in your foot soldiers and then you shuffle in mini-boss one, mini-boss two, and then the villain. And uh, much like Pandemic, depending on how they come out, it will definitely make your day rough. Um, so we had a lot of fun, and a couple people at the table had never watched Power Rangers, was entirely outside of their reference pool. They still had a great time because they enjoy good co-op games. And uh, everything we played with was pretty much out of the original box and a little bit from the Kickstarter expansion box, which it's still Wave 1, still the basic core. Um, but it makes me very curious about the interactions because you can take any of the Ranger characters from any of the expansions, play them on one team, and you're going to have different ways that they complement each other or don't depending on that setup, right? Like you could do a challenge where you're like, we're going to all be Red Rangers. And then that might go poorly for you because everyone's got really good support abilities, but nobody can soak damage, right? Or things like that. So that was a lot of fun. And, uh, and we also played Take 5 before that. That was our warm-up game. Very yeah. well received. Take 5 is one of my two favorite games that's on our Learn It in 3-Minute table that I think it just takes a little bit more to grasp than most people just go, oh, I got that right now. Boom. But, I mean, if you like Blackjack and you like the idea of trick-taking games but you're not good at them, you're going to love Take 5. Yeah, that's a good way to describe Take 5. You know, I, I, I want to correct one thing for the record. On Memorial Day, we got together as staff to play some games. Well, not just staff. Some staff and some friends got together to play some games since the store was closed that day. And we, you taught me how to play Death May Die, John. I did. Yeah. I did. Uh, Death May Die is a game that constantly finds its way to our table. Uh, it is amazing because it does come in episodes. So we are trying to like very much ration off the episodes and the surprise that comes with them, but the interchangeability of that game where you pick an episode and you pick a monster and every different monster plays differently every episode has its own little quirks that you have to play with including its own items that affect that world specifically that episode uh highly suggest it uh to, to put that on your table it is up if you want to take a look at it at red raccoon right now on the demo table the figures are amazing the gameplay is awesome it is it is a 10 out of 10 for me uh eric and Lang can do no wrong <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I think that it, they're very different games, so it, it doesn't replace it, but I feel like Death May Die is the new Mansions of Madness. Mansions of Madness used to be the, the game that I would always say, like, if someone walked in and said, I want to buy a $100 game, or $100 is my budget, I would say Mansions of Madness, first thing we're going to, because it's so solid, and it's like a game to play an RPG, but the computer is the, the DM. And Death May Die moves the way that Mansions of Madness used to in terms of how many we sell. I think a lot of it is that the people who we sold all the Mansions of Madness to now buy Death May Die. <laughs> it's true. There's definitely an overlay in that Venn diagram. Um, well, the, and the quality of minis has just gone up so oh, much yeah. of what they can actually do from a production standard compared to, like, if you ever saw some of the Mansions of Madness first edition minis, they were kind of like, looked like somebody made them out of Play-Doh. You know, they were, they were as good as you could do at the time right. and cutting edge for the time, but now... The last decade has just been... Yeah, the Death May Die minis are awesome. Yeah. 
I, I truly hope they take what they did with Death May Die, because they did a fantastic job in creating characters with light backstory but excellent abilities, and do what Arkham has done, and that is take these characters and put them into different games and, and evolve those abilities. Uh, speaking of Mansion of Madness, my wife and I play anything Arkham Horror that comes out, and normally if there's not good pieces in the box, we'll go to Arkham Horror, we'll pull out the minis from that game, and we'll play it with the card mm -hmm. game, we'll play it with Arkham Horror, uh, the actual game, Eldritch Horror, all of it. We nice. will reuse those minis all That's the time. Nice. So, uh, speaking, now that we're kind of done with what's going on with you guys, what's going on with the store this week? I know this is kind of big because we're kind of opening back up now as far as putting uh, the mask mandate is now kind of being changed up as well as uh, you having events again. Is there anything special going on this next few weeks for the store? Well, just to, um, so we did move to following the CDC recommendations for masks, which is fully vaccinated people do, you know, masks are optional for them. If you're unvaccinated at this point, you have masks are optional and then kids should have masks. And that's what we've got posted on the door now. Uh, so that was a change for us. We are still asking that everybody who wants to play any events to show us their vaccination card once so we can put it on file. Um, I know that that some people have looked at that very controversially. Um, I get it. However, we put out a survey to our community of the people who play games at the store. And the overwhelming percentage of them said, I would prefer that people have masks or know that to know that the people that I'm playing with right now have been vaccinated. And so we're going with what our community told us to do. Most of the people that are super bent out of shape about um, the rule that have communicated with me haven't ever actually played a game in the store that we're aware of. So, um, but yeah, we, we, with June, we started opening back up events and we kept them smaller to get everybody back in the hang of how events run. And July, we said, okay, that was successful. You guys are good. We're good. We just published the full calendar and we're going to um, bring back almost every community at this point. The um, schedule is out, 40K, Force of Will, uh, Magic the Gathering. Um, the only communities that aren't coming back yet are Pokemon because we have had direct communication from the Pokemon company saying we do not want you to run events yet um, because not every kid can get vaccinated yet, let alone have they had the opportunity to. And then Dungeons and & Dragons and Pathfinder, we are actively trying to get those organized again. Our Learn to Play Dungeons & Dragons is going to go off just fine, but um, from the Dungeon Masters and the Game Masters who used to be volunteers for the store and help us run events, we, a lot of them are no longer available. They've, they've gotten other jobs. Their job schedules have changed. They've moved out of the area. So we are actively soliciting and looking for dungeon masters and game masters to help us with those games. That'll be kind of the, those are the D and D Pathfinder and Pokemon are the final three pieces that we're working on putting back together. We are, however, launching two new games that have never had actual community communities in the store. But they and two new games that have come out during the pandemic in Flesh and Blood and Digimon, both of those are um, collectible card games. 
And so those will be launching with um, learn to play dates this month too. Yeah. So we're, we definitely put a focus uh, this month on lots of people who've never played a game before, picked up during the pandemic, curious to try something new out. So there's a big focus on having learn to play dates that are newbie friendly. People are going to be ready there to welcome you and say, hey, I've never played before. I'm going to teach it to you. Uh, so if you're interested in that, feel free to ask us questions at the store about it. Look at the schedule. And then um, an, an addendum to what Jamie said regarding role-playing games, I've also had people asking me about when can we start running individual tables again. So let's say I want to run a D&D game at the store, uh, preferably a Monday or Tuesday night, and I, it's not a DDL game, it's just me and some friends, and we're looking for a couple more party members. Or I want to run a Call of Cthulhu game, or I want to run a Ryutama game. So we had a program pre-pandemic called the Red Raccoon Role-Playing Guild, which essentially allowed folks to do those one-off tables uh, with a very similar setup to how we do Adventures League and Pathfinder Starfighter Society with GMs getting credit, etc. And that is being pushed back until at least August as we're in this rollout. So we got most of the communities, we're working on D&D and Pathfinder Starfinder. And then once we kind of have that stuff slotted in, we're going to have the Adventures League resume as, or not Adventures League, the role-playing guild resume as well. And uh, part of that is just being able to figure out scheduling, right? There was a lot of times where in figuring all this out, we contacted TOs and communities and went, so you used to play on Wednesday. Does Wednesday still work for people? And in a lot of cases it did, occasionally it didn't, and we had to kind of shuffle around. So it's been a dance card. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I think that the, one of the communities that is shuffling around, I think Pathfinder is going to shuffle around. Um, I think X-Wing, you know, they're kind of pulling everybody right now, but they always played on Sunday afternoons, and a lot of members of this uh, the X-Wing community um, now have children in their lives, and so they're trying to balance their love of playing games with their love of their children and their families. And so Sunday's maybe not the best day anymore. So we're still, we'll see how some of this stuff plays out. Yeah. It's amazing how a year being stuck up in the house somehow produced a lot more parents than they were expecting. <laughs> this is going to be a whole generation of COVID babies, right? It's just like when um, all the soldiers came home after World War II, there was an entire generation born in the next 13 months after that. So... I think we're going to see a bunch of COVID babies. Well, luckily, Red Raccoon will probably be here in order to support those COVID babies when they're ready to learn board gaming. But for today, we hope. We hope. I think that's where we're going to go ahead and uh, end the podcast. Thank you guys so much for uh, talking to me about all the nerdy things that I just had to get off my chest this week. Hopefully, yeah. this helped uh, other people that have just want to have a nerdy conversation, kind of feel heard or seen, or at least could yell at their... Uh, phones or car radios that they can't believe that we didn't ask this question or that. If you have any of those, uh, wherever you're listening to this, feel free to put information in the comments about what you want to hear about, about some of the things that maybe we got wrong, or possibly uh, some things that you think that we should have explored on a little bit more, and maybe we can get that into the next episode. Hey, can I throw something in that we'll just put a link to it in the show notes right before we, right before we, we did this today? Uh, Netflix dropped the new trailer for the new He-Man cartoon. Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> it That's looks fair. awesome. That's fair. It, so it, I think we should just drop the notes and let everybody go watch yeah, it. Yeah, that looks really cool. It's I'm excited to watch that. I actually didn't even really watch He-Man as a kid, because it was by the time that it was being re-ran when I was a kid, I had like Dragon Ball Z and stuff. So He-Man was, uh, for me, was the same as Power Rangers for yeah. you. Yeah. 
right? Yeah. My generation being a little bit older than you. Yeah. Um, it was all He-Man and G.I. Joe and Transformers. Right. Cartoons every day racing from the bus stop to get home. He-Man has that really fun, like, meld of, like, science fiction and fantasy. It's kind of a weird setting. And, and the new cartoon has really good animation. And there's a lot of, you know, yeah. I got, I, I, I like is, Skeletor. It's, John's yeah! trying to cut us off. Let's just, everybody, okay. click, click the things Please. that they do. It's, it's hard for me not to talk more about He-Man, but under the time and scrapes, we might have to go ahead and maybe make a segment for that when it actually comes out. Do we have an email for contact if people want to email something to us instead of putting it in the comments or something? I didn't know if we How about just that. info at redraccoongames.com? Sure. And put podcast in the, in the subject title so yeah. they know what it's about. Perfect. Yeah. We'll look for it there. Well, thank you so much, everybody, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Peace.